you know, little airstrip and cow paddy fields next to it. But he had some problem that morning with his glasses, and he, he was trying to work with an old pair of glasses that just really weren't working real well. And, and so he was thinking, what can I do to make sure that I see when I need to see? Up close, I'm fine. It's far away. I can't see stuff. Uh, and so these glasses just aren't cutting it. And I, I don't want to make them think I can't see. And so he got this bright idea to take a pen and stick it across in a tree in the field. And then he would say to them, of course I can see. See that over there? And walk over and take the pen and come back, prove he can see, and he'd be set. So he got started, and sure enough, they, they got to the point where they are kind of wondering whether he could see or not. And he said, can you see that tree? You see that little pin over there? Great. And he walked over and got it. He went back home that night and talked to his wife. She said, well, did you get the position? He said, no. What happened? You told me about that pin thing. He said, oh, I got the pin. I just tripped over a cow on the way back. <laughs> we serve a God who always sees. We serve a God who loves us. To have a God who sees means we have a God who cares. He cares about you. He cares about your situation. He cares about everything in your life. And I want us today to think about that God who sees as we pray. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know you see and I have faith. You see everything going on. Father, the good, the bad, and everything in between. Thank you for always being watchful over your children and seeing us in everything we do. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Over these last few weeks, we've discovered that God is a God who never changes. So as you know, today's title, The God Who Sees. In this series, we have uh, discovered how he moves. We've discovered how we experience that within, how we experience it knowing God's word, following him through prayer. All these things have helped us to see the God who is the always God. Now, in, in week one, we spoke about God speaking. That God was a God who speaks, and he, he still speaks today. He speaks in a number of ways to us. We talked about that. In week two, we learned that God is the God who hears. He's the hearing God, the always hearing God. We talked about the beauty of serving that God, of a God whose ears are open to the cries of his people. This week, uh, we're going to talk about a God who sees. The God who always sees. Now, the big idea behind this message is that, that God cares. Because he has seen, he remembers us, and he has not forgotten us and our needs. So he is the God who cares. Have you ever thought about this? Surely you have at some point. Maybe it's a trouble or a trial you're in. Maybe it's some loss you're, it's not adding up in your life and you can't seem to catch a break. Or maybe... Maybe you're looking around at work, and while you're working hard, trying to honor the Lord, it's the person that cuts the corners, kisses up, and doesn't honor God that in their life seems to get ahead with a promotion or a raise. Or maybe it's just evil in our world. As you look around, we read the newspaper every morning, it's senseless as murders, people being taken advantage of, uh, uh, lives lost to a tragedy of some kind. And the question we ask is, God, are you seeing this? Do you see what's happening? Take it to the root of the question, God, do you really care? If this is going on and you're a God that sees, do you really care? I think that's why Peter was writing to the church in Asia Minor. Today we would call it modern Turkey. Uh, That was where the church was located. And they were asking, because of an intense 
persecution, does God care for us? Does he know what we're going through? Does he see where we are? And they were being abused, discriminated against, taken advantage of. Some were dying because of their faith in Jesus, and they were crying out to God. And Peter writes to encourage these believers. He writes to them, and what he's trying to do is make them see they can keep their trust and their hope in Jesus. He is faithful, and he cares for them. And so he sees them, and he knows what they're going through. He cares. As you look at 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11, if you choose to stand in honor of the reading of God's word, 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 11, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Being sober-minded, being watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls about, around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to share with you four truths, three more detailed and one just very quickly to put something in your mind. Four detailed and one very quickly to put something in your mind. Point number one, God sees what we do. God sees what we do. In Psalm 33, 13 through 15, the Bible says, The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. Maybe you want to go back and find that passage of Scripture and circle that word all. He sees all of man, not just some of them, not just his people. He sees all of them. He knows you. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. 15 says, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. See, he's the always seeing God. He sees everything and he knows what you do and what you're going through. Maybe you're wondering what God is doing. Is he sitting on his throne, looking over all of his creation, ruling and reigning? Is he working his plans for this world and our lives out? He is observing all our deeds. Listen to these Proverbs. Proverbs 5.21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He sees. And he ponders all his paths. Proverbs 15.3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. You don't think that God sees what the guy did next door that was illegal? He did. You don't think that all these things won't be seen? You and I both know that at the end of the world, we will be judged, and in that, everything will be revealed. He's seen it all, and he's recorded it all. It will be seen again by all of us so that we understand God did what was right in people's lives and how he judged. Look at this passage of Scripture, Second Chronicles 16, 9. He's looking to those who are faithful. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Strong support. The picture in the Old Testament is that God's 
Right hand is the hand of power. It's the one he holds us up with. He's the one he delivers us with. It's the one he uses to smite people with. His right hand, his right omnipotent righteous hand is supporting you, holding you up. Look at this passage. If you recall the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 4 through 6, he says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, at the street corners, that they may be seen by others truly. I say to you that they have received their reward, but when you go pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, verses that tell us from New Testament to Old Testament that God is a God who sees you, the righteous. He knows who you are, and he knows what you're doing. He is aware of your situation and everything that you're going through right now. He knows it all. If you think about Jesus, later in the book of Matthew, uh, uh, Jesus talks to them and he, he speaks about eternal rewards. Chapter 25, he talks about when we feed the needy, he sees us. When we clothe the naked, he sees us. When we visit the sick and imprisoned, he sees us. He knows the good deeds that you are doing and how you are living your life for him. Everything you go through, he knows. God sees what you're doing. God notices if you do these things. And don't think if anyone else notices. Don't worry about that. Just remember, God does. I don't have to be patted on the back for everything that I do. Why? Because God's already seen it. I know he knows. Sometimes we feel like nobody appreciates what we do or cares about what we do or maybe doesn't like our opinion. But God does. He knows you. He knows what you think. He knows what you do. And he is supporting you and rewarding you, the Bible said, for all those good deeds that you have done. He also, unfortunately, sees the disobedience, does he not? He knows what we do when it is wrong. And don't think that he doesn't remember those actions as well. He rewards us in the manner in which we live. I think he also sees these things. And, and you can see in Jeremiah sixteen seventeen the words, For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me. Nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. Remember the Old Testament, remember Achan and how they had stolen something and took it back to the tent and buried it under the tent, covered it up with, with rugs and pillows as if God can't see through that. Everybody else had no idea. But when the lots were cast, it was discovered they had stolen, they had buried with the idea that nobody would find out, nobody would see. God does. Look at Psalm 98. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. That is a scary thought, isn't it? To set them out before you. I don't know, when, I, when we were growing up, I don't know people still set the table anymore. Very few people do. You probably get a plate, go to the kitchen, fill it up, go sit down. But growing up, it was we set the table. 
You know, so I, it was my job to set the table. We had a tablecloth. We had all the plates. Silverware had to be on the right side. We had glasses. If it was water, I'd fill it up. If it was something else, maybe mom and dad would bring it in because I spill stuff. So we'd get that all set, and it was my job to set the table. What would it be like to set before a God who set the table of your iniquities? What a banquet that would be. To see everything that you had ever done wrong laid out before you. But that's exactly what's going to happen. Why? Because he is a God who knows what you do. He sees everything that you do. Maybe you think he won't notice when you fudge on an expense report or your taxes. Maybe you don't know that when you close the door and turn down the lights, he can still see what you're doing. I'm amazed at people when they are discovered. Here recently, unfortunately, within the Southern Baptist Convention, I wanted to address this at some point. I'll talk about it now. A person who's almost elected to the highest office in the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee was found to have fudged on his education. He cheated and presented himself as something that he was not. Weeks away from being elected as the chief executive officer of the Southern Baptist Convention, he was discovered. That breaks my heart. Of course, I wonder how far, how you get that far without being discovered somewhere in the past. But finally, somebody found the information and presented it. And now he's out. I'm amazed when people think they can hide from God. They can hide nothing from God. I don't care who you are. Just because we're his children doesn't mean he doesn't want us to act in a certain way. He wants us to follow him. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, and all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. He sees everything you do, and you're going to give account for what you've done. Look at this verse, Psalm 21, 121, 3 and 8. He who keeps, watches, you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps, watches. Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord will keep, watch, of your going out and your coming in from this time forevermore. Nothing gets past God. Let's say that again. Nothing gets past God. He sees everything. He sees our faithfulness. He sees our obedience as well as our unfaithfulness and our disobedience. And what Peter wants the believers in Asia to understand, that in the midst of their persecution, God sees whether or not they're doing the right thing as well. Are they pawning off their activity on their persecution? Well, I can slide under this because we're being persecuted and God will forgive me for not being faithful. Really? Verse 6 says, what? The first thing, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. The idea is that in the light of suffering or experience, it is the proper time to humble ourselves before God and not feel exalted, not stiffen our neck, not refuse to obey him. But even while we go through the trials and tribulations, we are faithful to God for what he has done for us. Knowing that God sees us should motivate us to stay the course. He sees. God sees what we do. Number two, God sees what we do not. God sees what we do not. Remember, where God is positioned overall, right? 
He doesn't have the limitations of my ability to see and know things. Uh, He's not limited by time and space. He's not limited by distance. He's not limited by anything. He is ruling and reigning, sitting enthroned over all creation, not just part of it. He's not just the God of this world. He's the God of everything. He's the Lord of all. And as the Lord of all, he sees all. I think it points to his sovereignty. He sees things differently than we do. Yeah, football games, they call it the press box or, you know, whatever. It sits up above the football field, and I've been up in that box before in different communities and sat there, and I've, I've watched the game. You, you have a different perspective from up there than you have in the stands or by the sideline. In the sideline, I may only see anything that's right in front of me. Maybe up in the stands, I see a little bit more, a little wider view. But when I'm up in the press box, I have a field view. I can see it all. I can see the other side. I can see either end. And and it's compacted so that now it's in a smaller view. I don't have to look widely at the field like I would at midfield. But now I see everything right here, right in front of me. And that's how God sees. He sits in the press box and he views all of life. Because of God in his position and the different perspective that he sees, he sees the things we don't, the things we don't. I think we should remember at times when we read God's word and he asks us to do certain things or we pray and God's spirit emphasizes us to act a certain way, to talk to a person, to be a certain way. That's because God knows, he sees. He's in that position. He sees not just our, again, obedience, but our disobedience, but he sees every motive of the heart. Isn't that what the Bible says? That that it divides asunder the thoughts and intents of the heart? God knows why we do what we do, even when we do not. Show of hands, how many people said, I've acted sometimes and didn't know why I did what I did. All the hands would go up because we'd have to agree. Why did I do that? How many times have you said that under your breath? And why did I say that? You don't even know why you said that. Don't even know why you did it. But God does because he knows the intents of your heart. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Proverbs 21, 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. He holds you in his hand and knows every reason, motive, thought, intent of why you do what you do. Should we not go to that God and ask that God to help us? Go to God who knows why, God, tell me why I do these things. Help me not to do them. God, tell me why I don't do things I should. Help me to do the things you've asked me to do. Help my unbelief. They said over and over again in the New Testament when they talked to Jesus. Do you remember when Samuel was called to anoint the next king of Israel? We talked about this recently. Jesse brings all of his sons out. And he looks across and uh, he sees Eliab. And he's handsome and he looks like a king. You know, he's, he's taller than everybody else. Oh, now that's a kingly guy. But he was not impressed. That did not show up. It wasn't what he was looking at. That was not God looking for. That's not what God was looking for. Look at this, Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, 
because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. How many people have you seen you walk into a crowd and, and they just have an air about them? They stand out from everybody. And then a few years later, you discover some secret sin that destroyed their lives. It happens. It's there. God looks at the heart. I think as you think about that and think about how he sees, he searches, he weighs, God sees what we do not. And it's a very good thing. It's an amazing thing. And it's a thing that we should remember. The big idea here is what we need to leave with today one more time is God, the always knowing God, sees and cares. God, the always knowing God, sees and cares. I think of it in the context of an unanswered prayer. When we talk to God about having something in our hearts, and we talked about that last week, why is it sometimes that he doesn't answer a prayer that we just believe must be answered? It has to be answered. We need this right now, God. Why is it happening? We get frustrated with God. We talk to him. We, we cry in our prayer time, and we demand, why can't we have this? Why can't it be known? Maybe what we need to do is say, God, what do you see that I don't? Remember the guy I talked about in the airfield? Imagine God is the air traffic controller. Uh, we have someone, Evan could tell us all about air traffic control, couldn't he? He knows all about that. You've seen the movies, you've seen the pictures. There's this little screen, and they're moving everything around. They're watching all the airplanes in a certain level or certain location, and they see everything that's going on. They're moving the plane. Sometimes they'll tell a pilot, you need to drop down so many thousand feet. You need to move left. You need to move right, south, east, northwest. Whatever they tell them to do, they do because there are things the pilots cannot see. And at the speed at which they fly, there's little room for mistakes, right? One of the most challenging jobs in the world is to be an air traffic controller. I pray for him as he goes through that and becomes one. You look at those issues. God sees everything, and he's the ultimate air traffic controller in your life. Controlling everything that happens, where you are, where you need to be. He moves you sometimes. Or you know what? Sometimes he puts you in a holding pattern. And you wait till he lands the other people, and then your prayer is answered. Sometimes we're in holding, and sometimes we're moving. God is the one who directs all of that because he sees what we do not. Aviation people tell us that according to some of the statistics, some 9,000 planes carrying over a million and a half people are in the sky at any given time. Imagine that. Trying to keep all of those pieces in play. I think that's why when I read a passage, and I read this one often, as you probably quote it to yourself, Romans 8, 28, I remember that verse, and everything and all things we know for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Our seeing is limited. It's finite. I, I can't see as far as I used to. I know that. I, I can't see as well up close as I used to either. I know that. My sight over the years, begins to decrease. But God's never does. 
every situation you are in, he sees. He is not limited by anything. And this is the main reason you and I should worship God. He is the always seeing God. John Piper put it this way. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may only be aware of three. Think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. God is moving 10,000 things around you. And you may only know of three. The most pressing three, whatever they are. Maybe it's money, maybe it's health, maybe it's family. Maybe it's some other issue. But, but it's hard to focus on more than one thing, right? If I say, think about a pink elephant and think about other things, all of a sudden there's a pink elephant in your mind. You begin to think about it. Maybe you can't get it out of your mind for a little while because it's such a weird thought. Why, why, why do you think about a pink elephant? Then you think about elephant parts. Well, there's a trunk and there's a... Then all your mind begins to scatter and you think of all different things and, and you try to come back to the thought you had before. You rein yourself back in and now you're back on that other thought. The pink elephant's gone. You can't do them both at the same time, but God can. Can you imagine a God who is moving Billions of people's 10,000 things. Billions of people's 10,000 things, and God is orchestrating all of those. You may get your answer, but it may not be as fast as you want. God sees everything. Even if we don't, even if he sees, our adversary, the devil, is working, he's prowling, he's roaring like a lion, he's seeking whom he may devour. God is at work, but so is Satan. And he's working on your life as well, causing you to doubt, not trust God, wanting to give up, turn away, be disobedient. All that happens because Satan is working in the background in that spiritual battle that you and I fight. Remember, we're not fighting one another, we're fighting the spiritual battle. Principalities, powers in the air, the influences, the whispers in our spirit do that. They'll never know. Say this, you have the right. All those things, when maybe we don't. Peter is trying to encourage the believers in the midst of their persecution that maybe their fixation on the outward experience that they're going through right now, concentrating on the physical torture that they may be going through, he reminds them where the battle really is. It's not in the physical realm. It's not in their physical body. It's Satan that's opposing them. And he reminds them that the battle is really against Satan and the forces of darkness. Look back and, and see these words, Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. When you and I, in this world, say we believe in a devil, some people will raise their eyebrow. Yeah, sure, whatever. When you and I, even in Christianity within the realms of a brotherhood and sisterhood, within the body of a church. When we talk about the fact that there's a devil and he's actively working against us, even some Christians raise their eyebrow and go, yeah, right, whatever. You, you remember that Jesus fought Satan, right? 
You remember he went toe-to-toe with him. He was offered everything. There is Do you realize that Jesus talks more about Satan, New Testament, and hell than anybody else? He believed it. He fought it. Should we not take Satan seriously? He is not some red-bodied, sharp-tailed, horned, peaked-beard person. He's Mr. Slick, and you never know who he was. The best-looking person in the room. The suavest person in the room. The most convincing person in the room. All of these things Satan is, he can be like an angel of light if he wishes. So we need to weigh what we hear in our spirit against what God's word says. That's why we looked at those things last week. And when we pray, we are changed. Changes who we are. I hope you're understanding a bit more clearly why we desperately need to see and have a God that sees everything. Because he sees what we don't. Peter tells us, and he tells these persecuted believers in Asia, to stand firm on their faith because it's their faith that allows them to see through their spiritual eyes what their physical eyes could never see. I can't see Satan, but my spirit can feel. My spirit will direct. And my spirit will guide. God sees what we do. God sees what we don't. And thirdly, God sees what has us down. God sees what has us down. In our passage in, in 1 Peter, God is very aware that the believers are suffering. It's not something he's not aware of. He knows about it. Peter's writing to them because he understands what they're going through. God is never caught by surprise. God never face plants. <laughs> he never goes, I didn't know that. Oh my gosh, I didn't expect that to happen. He never turns to the angels, do you believe this? I didn't think that was going to happen. God never does that. God knows it all. He's never caught by surprise. I I need you to know this. God still sees right where you are. When you become frustrated with God and things, remember, God still sees. He knows. He's working. Be patient with him and let him have his perfect will in your life, in the midst of your hurt and pain, in your struggle and in your hardship, in your confusion and in your tears, God sees you. I think this principle reminds me of the story of the Old Testament of Hagar. We studied her recently. We talked about that. She was with Sarah, Abraham's wife. She was a servant. And God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child, but often like is in life, Things did not work out, and they didn't wait on God to deliver on his promise. By the way, that's foolish. If God promises something, wait. He will deliver. He is the faithful God. They didn't want to wait. So they think God's forgotten them. So what do they do? They come up with a way to get what they want without waiting on God. They did it with their own hands. So together, Sarah and Abraham made the decision. Abraham is going to sleep with Sarah's servant, Hagar, in the hopes that Hagar will become pregnant and have a child. They'll take that child, and that will be their own. What happens is, yes, Hagar becomes pregnant. 
But Sarah becomes so jealous and angry that she dealt harshly, the Bible says, with Hagar. I think that's a glossing over of how bad it was. She dealt harshly with me. (laughs) You know it was worse than that. You know the vitriol sense of anger that she had and the jealousy that she could not have her own child. Hagar runs into the desert. So we looked at recently. She gets away from Sarah. She sits at at a well. She's a servant and she's beginning to wonder what she should do. She's tired. She's alone. She has absolutely nothing and no one. And at that moment, at that moment, the angel of the Lord appears and tells her to go back and submit to Abraham and Sarah. The angel promises something. He promises that she will have a son and listen to her response. Genesis 16, 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Isn't that a great name for God? The Lord who looks after me. The God who looks after me. The always seeing God. She calls him Jehovah Roy, which means the God who sees me. You're the God of seeing. Truly here I've seen him and he looks after me. That's the God you serve. That's the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is seeing you as you go about, and he knows when you're tired. He knows when you're lonely. He knows when you have nothing and no one. He sees you, and he sends his messenger to tell you that he sees you, and he won't forget his promises. What comfort that should bring us. What hope should stir within our our bodies That he's the God that sees. Maybe some things are weighing on your heart. Look at a few of them. Is it a broken relationship? Were you the recipient of abuse in your past? Is it a secret sin you keep struggling with? Is it that bills are piling up and you don't know when relief is going to come? Is it miscarriages or the inability to get pregnant? Or is it addiction or illness or injury? Is it death of a loved one? Whatever it is, listen to me. God sees. And in the seeing, he cares. God sees. And in the seeing, he cares. Look at these two verses. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. King James, casting all your care on him. You know, it says. Next one. Psalm 58, 8, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottles. Can you imagine every time you tossed and turned, God knows? Every time you cried a tear, he kept. He sees. He knows. God sees the tears that you shed. He knows your suffering. But he also knows it will only be for a short while. It's not forever. It's not ultimate. There's a better thing coming. Even though it may press on your mind right now, God is taking care of things. 1 Peter 5.10, what a wonderful promise. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, 
who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Those are God's promises to you today. Write that verse down. Circle that verse. Take it. Memorize it. And see, this God who sees will do these things in your life because you're his. Because you're faithful. I hope you see this as a message of hope. I really do. Ultimately, it is. And that Jesus will restore. That Jesus will confirm. That Jesus will strengthen. That Jesus will establish you in the good time. Last truth about what God sees. God sees what we do. God sees what we don't. And God sees what has us down. And God sees what Jesus has done. No big explanation about this. Just the point. God sees what Jesus has done. And what he has done was for you. And all the promises were for you. And all the forgiveness was for you. And you'll be judged because of Jesus' righteousness, not your own. When I stand before him, his righteousness was what? Imputed to me. Given to me. Donated to me. I have on me Jesus. I have in me Jesus. I may fail, but I will be judged because I am in Christ. It's the only way I get in heaven, the only way I stay. Not because of what I've done. I'll be judged for rewards, vain of seat. But I get in because of Jesus' righteousness and the white robe he placed on me. When God looks down on us, he sees two categories, only two. In Christ, not in Christ. In Christ, not in Christ. He will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. He'll say to us, enter into your reward, trusting in the faithful. Colossians 3, 3 through 4, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do you see why I say it's in him? Because that's what the Bible says. It's not my idea. It's there. In the word of God, you can't appear with him in glory if your life is not hidden in Christ, in God. What do you see? What does God see when he sees you? What does he focus on? Does he see that you've trusted him, that you've been sacrificial, that you've been substitutionary for other people? You've taken a spot? Or does he see you trying to rule and reign your own life? Did you die in Christ and take up your cross daily and follow him? Or did you take control and say, I'm sitting in the throne of this life. It's mine. I'll do what I want. I I don't know. God sees, and what he sees, though, is always certain. He knows. He sees. And if you don't know this God who sees and cares, I invite you today to know him. Because when you are in him, you have everything that you need. You have the confidence that you need. And knowing that he sees you and everything that you do, you can know that he cares. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and ask you to be with us.
the thoughts and tents of the heart you see. You remind us of that. You tell us today, you care. You see and you care. But Father, we don't like being in a holding pattern. And when the answer isn't immediate, we focus on those few things we can see and we get frustrated. Lord, help us to trust you. To know that you see what we do not. And you see what we do. But you're going to change things ultimately. Help us to trust you in that. And have faith in you. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We're going to sing what number, Bill? 435, as you stand and sing, this is the invitation for you to come. God bless you. I pray God will bless you in this week. See you back this afternoon, church council, and later for service. Remember that this evening. Pray for those who are traveling. Some people are still on vacation and visiting other churches today for for baptisms and some fun things in other people's lives. So pray for them as they come back to us tonight. Um, He was 75 years old. He was still playing golf, but, you know, his vision wasn't like it should be. And so he decided he wanted to play, but then he said, "Ah, I can't. Told his wife, I decide I'm not going to go play today. She says, well, ask my brother to play with you. He says, well, your brother's 95 years old. Yeah, but he's got perfect vision. He can find a ball for you. Okay, all right, let's go. So he went and played, and first ball he hit, went out of bounds, couldn't see where it went. So he asked his brother-in-law, where did the ball go? And he goes, I don't remember. <laughs> we serve a God who sees and who remembers. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Bill, would you lead us in prayer this evening?